on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It's Thursday, March 5th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Connor Tapp, and today on the podcast, we've got a little bit of a different format than what y'all are used to. We're going to turn over the reins to a few of our fellow podcasters in the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network to give you some boots-on-the-ground analysis of developments in Columbus, Ohio, Coral Gables, Florida, and Eugene, Oregon. We'll start off by sending you to the Bucknuts Morning 5. Yesterday, Trey did a great job of laying out the stakes of Master Teague's Achilles injury. On Tuesday, Dave Biddle and Max Baxendale dove into the weeds on the likeliest candidates to replace Teague, including the tantalizing possibility of Teague's injury pushing Ohio State into going after still unsigned four-star running back Zach Evans. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, March 4th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle, very happy to be joined by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. Bax, Buckeye Nation, freaked out yesterday when the news was revealed that Master Teague suffered an Achilles injury at the very end of the first day of spring drills. I think everybody assumed uh, your Achilles injury, you assume ruptured Achilles, out for the year, even though Justin Hilliard and Tuff Boyle in the last couple of years suffered partially torn Achilles, and they were able to come back. I think everybody assumed those guys were going to be out. But anyway, now news has started to trickle out that it might just be a strain. What are you hearing? Just your thoughts on Master Teague's injury and what uh, might occur here. All right, so first things first, the Achilles injury is certainly not a good thing. Uh, The comparisons that you gave uh, a moment ago to Tuff Borland and Justin Hilliard, we all know they came back, but they didn't come back as anything resembling their full speed selves. Uh, poor Tuff Borland gutted it out two years ago in a year where everybody was just there, – there was no bigger whipping boy that year for Ohio State's defensive problems than Tuff Borland, right? And it really wasn't fair because he got his, most of his step back last year and he was better, right? Uh, which, of course, me saying Tuff Borland did anything well last year is going to cause a certain segment of people to lose their minds anyways. Uh, but the truth is, is that an Achilles injury to a running back is going to severely slow a running back if it's anything more than a sprain. Now – Right now, we don't know that it's any worse than a sprain. It's not like there's just a flat-out torn Achilles. And that's one of those things where sometimes if you rupture your Achilles, it rolls up your calf, and it's really hard to miss. So hopefully that's what we're looking at here is this is just a strain. And bottom line is, though, is, is that uh, if it is a strain, he's still out for all of spring practice. There's no development for a guy who hasn't yet started. And this now leaves Ohio State with their top two tailbacks coming off of lower body, fairly severe injuries headed into the season because, of course, Marcus Crowley and his knee injury. Uh, in a year where the running back's depth chart is thinner than we can remember, uh, with the other two players being still Chambers, who barely touched the ball last year, and Mayan Williams, who's a true freshman, uh, you're going to be looking at guys like Jalen Gill, Demario McCall as potential backup options. Heck, Cam Martinez might get a look here at running back because of all the concerns that you have with the injuries. So, 
needless to say, this injury to Teague, who's supposed to be your bell cow guy this year, after finishing in the top 10 of the Big Ten in rushing despite being a backup, uh, this is, this, this is uh, officially the biggest position of concern. It's the one we're all going to talk about ad nauseum until the season starts. Uh, so there's our, there's our storyline for the entire offseason right there. How are the running backs and who's healthy? Let's just hope it's just a strain for Master Teague. We will, of course, keep the listeners updated on that. And, uh, you know, we'll get a chance to talk to Kevin Wilson uh, this morning after practice at 10.45 a.m. Al Washington as well. Uh, I imagine he's not going to say very much about it. Now, maybe if it's good news, you could, we'll be able to read between the lines and kind of tell it's good news. So uh, even though they don't talk about injuries over there, you know, there's, there's ways to kind of ask the question. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Kevin Wilson says today, if anything, about Master Teague's status. All right, moving on, I know, because you, know, you made a good point. Even if Master Teague, this is not a season ending, and it, you know, from everything it sounds like, I, I don't want to get too, out, too far ahead of myself, it doesn't sound like it's season ending from everything I'm hearing so far, but it's early. But even if, even if it's not, and he's able to come back, but, you know, he's not the same, that could affect a running back, to your point, even more than it affected a linebacker. And you're right, Tough Borland was not the same. He was never a burner, but I think he went from kind of slow to really slow, you know, after the Achilles injury. So, and a running back, you know, is relying on his ability to cut, is relying on his explosion. So that could be, even if Master Teague's able to play, he might not be the same guy. So I know you brought this up on the board. I want you to defend your point here. Zach Evans is still sitting out there. The five-star running back still sitting out there, 2020 class, unsigned. You think the Buckeyes should go after him. Prove your point. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I understand there's a lot of concerns about the character surrounding Zach Evans, his all-time insane recruitment, but there's also not concerns about how good at football this guy is. And in a year where Ohio State's top two running backs are going into the season coming off potential major injuries, you have to consider it. Now, uh, as uh, the caveat goes, Ryan Day has earned all of our trust, and if he thinks there's a severe enough reason to not go after the guy, then okay, so be it. But I would just like to point out, we've seen, quote, character kids get dropped by Ohio State in recent years that maybe weren't such bad kids. Uh, Michael Parsons, for example, was dropped because he had the audacity to say Dwayne Haskins was better than JT Barrett. Duh. So uh, at this point with Evans, if you're Ohio State, yes, there are character concerns. But on the flip side, he's a guy who could come in and be your starting tailback right away as a true freshman on a team where your tailback situation is more than questionable. And maybe he wasn't worth the risk when you thought you were going to have a healthy Master Teague Crowley being able to work in behind him. Steel Chambers is an option. You know, that's a different story. Now you don't have a healthy guy. You need another guy. And at the end of the day, we've seen, quote, character concerns from a stud true freshman at running back result in an Ohio State National Championship in a.k.a. Maurice Claret 20 years ago. So, yes, there are character concerns. But will one player, quote, blow up the program? I think that's a massive overreaction. And, by the way, I think Evans would be massively interested in coming to OSU if he was in a position where he looks at our depth chart and goes, yeah, I have a great opportunity to start. And, hey, he gets here and he acts like an idiot and he doesn't, doesn't do what he needs to do, then guess what? Sayonara. But, again, this is uh, – unless, unless the, there's things that are way worse than people are letting on about him, I think that the risk is going to potentially be worth the reward here. At least kick the tires again and see if it's an option because, other than that, you're looking at retreads in the, the transfer portal and, Really, you have to find a guy who is immediately eligible, and that's something that's not going to be that easy to find at running back. Exactly. I did a story for the site yesterday, and you know, I was scouring the portal myself. And twenty-four-seven sports, you know, you can just do a, you know, you can just get on one of the twenty-four 
sports sites like Bucknuts, of course, or you can just do a Google search for Transfer Portal 24-7. It'll pop right up, and you can see the players are in the portal. You can go by position. You can go by ranking, however you want to do it. It's just like the recruiting ranking. So I was looking at it yesterday. I don't see a really good option. I mean, there's guys out there that if they're eligible immediately might be, like a Samson James, but I'm not, he's not going to be eligible immediately. Listers, he's got some waiver claim that, that I'm not aware of. But then again, it's almost near free agency in the NCAA right now, right now so you never know. But I was looking through it, Bax, and I, like I said, I did the piece for the site yesterday. I'm not seeing, as you mentioned, a real good option in the portal. Now, that can change. There could be somebody who's thinking about transferring that wants to go through spring ball first and then ends up transferring, or somebody who's not even thinking about transferring is like, oh, Ohio State might have an opening? Hmm, maybe I'll do that as a graduate transfer. So things can change, but I'm not seeing a good option in the portal right now. No, and a guy like Slade from Penn State might have been interesting if he right? That's the issue you have, though, is, is that if you take one of these transfer guys and they're not eligible this year, you have to assume the situation is largely going to be corrected next year with whoever the fruits of the 2021 recruiting class that are born come, and then you have all your other running backs back, unless, you know, of course, we have a miracle and Master Teague is able to play right away and has a great season and goes pro or something nutty, right? But assuming all these guys are going to be back for another year, you're not going to need this situation in 2021 and beyond, right? So you have to – the benefit of a transfer running back is literally this season. It's a plug-and-play. It's a free agent play, right? This is the year you need the guy. And unless there's a guy who's immediately eligible, I don't, I don't see any transfer backs who are worth it. That's why I keep coming back to Zach Evans and going, that kid, he could play right away, number two tailback in America, number one player in the state of Texas, right? Something like that. And you know what? All these other big programs are still after him, so he must not be so crazy that a school like Florida that might win the SEC this year isn't considering bringing him in. So I, I don't know. It's, 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 I think the bottom line is it's a crappy situation. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll hear about De'Eric King's first week of practice with Miami, and we'll hear about some unrest in the Pac-12. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. The Miami Hurricanes have started spring practice, and on Monday, 30 minutes of that practice was open to the media. This gave Andrew Ivins and David Lake of the Through the Smoke podcast their first look at Houston transfer Derek King. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined, as always, by David Lake. A bit of a emergency incident reaction podcast kind of coming out of day one of spring practices for the hurricanes um they opened up not spring camp i guess what is it just spring football spring football spring football here uh on monday morning this is our first chance to see not only derek king uh but also rhett lashley rob likens quincy roche um a handful of early enrollees david i'm just gonna throw it right at you give me your biggest takeaway as we sit in our car outside of Green Tree practice fields. Yeah, so I think, so let's just start with, this is what we could see. So the media gets about a 30 minute window, so we can't necessarily see everything, but we get a good snapshot on how guys are looking, uh, what the coaches, the new coaches are like in terms of 
attitude and intensity, all that good stuff. And my quick takeaway, I'll start with the coaches. I thought Rhett Lashley and Rob Likens, the new wide receivers coach, I thought they both set a tone of intensity uh, from the get-go. They were definitely not shy about getting on their guys um, when they needed to early in the practice. I think it was within 10 minutes of, of the practice starting when Rhett Lashley was, was uh, you know, strongly coaching his quarterback position group, um, which I think is a good thing. I'm a fan of, of guys who coach hard. And I thought Rob Likens also is a guy who's not afraid to coach his players hard. I thought you could tell that, you know, the tempo of practice is faster on offense. Um, is it anywhere close to where it needs to be? No, but you could tell they're, they're trying to work at a faster pace on offense from drill to drill, station to station. And, you know, we can get into Derek King next. I thought, you know, we, we can't really see much. He, he's throwing on air mostly from what we can see. And, most quarterbacks should look good throwing on air, and De'Eric King did. So what what were your thoughts on De'Eric? Um, let's kind of start there. Like, again, we don't see much. There's no shoulder pads, no pass rush. But I, I go back in my head to this time last year when Tate Martell was here, and we stood inside the, the indoor practice facility, and we were, we were all hyped, and we thought this guy was going to be the, the answer. And then as you saw him – progress through his reads and make more throws it was like hey I don't know if he, this guy can throw um and my takeaway this Monday morning after seeing uh, you, you said it was 30 minutes I felt like it was like 15 or 20 that, that media session is Derek King can throw um we got I think like one seven on seven drive uh with no pass rush so there was just receivers and DBs and, and a few linebackers out there and Derek went four of four and it was pretty impressive uh, I thought the coverage was good, and he stood in the pocket again, no pass rush, but he made some throws, put some balls, the ball in places um, that I didn't think he could. And after practice, we saw him kind of just toying around, throwing into a net and, and throwing with some of the receivers. I'm not sure they were. And I was like, this guy is, is pretty accurate, and, and he can throw. Um, so – We'll see once once the bullets start flying uh, uh, with, with the scrimmages and whatnot, but there's definitely reason to be pretty optimistic about him. The third and final podcast we're visited by today is the Pac-12's Ghost of Christmas Future. Eric Scopel and Matt Preem of Otson Audibles fielded a mailbag question that asked them to envision a dystopian vision of the future where the Oregon Ducks find it in their best interest to look for a new conference or maybe just go independent instead of continuing to remain in the Pac-12. All right, Eric, Wednesday show, we've got eight questions, kind of a wide-ranging group. Um, and ironically enough, the first question was something that we each messaged saying we needed to talk about. Yeah, it works out really nicely. So thanks to at KMuir101, this was something that Matt and I had actually said. Even if the question wasn't asked, we were going to carve out some time on this show to discuss because it's just like a big picture thing that probably needs to be uh, discussed on the podcast. So, f f so from at K Muir 101, 
Uh, Mike Bone at USC recently mentioned the possibility of going independent like Notre Dame in an interview about the struggles of the Pac-12. Do you think Oregon has built a big enough brand over the past couple of years to consider the same idea if a lucrative enough TV deal is offered? Um, Matt, why don't you start here? I think this is an interesting question, and, and the brand for Oregon, do you think it's big enough to do something like this? Like, What's your take um, in terms of Oregon trying to do something like this? Where Oregon is in 2020 is drastically you know, far away from where they were in the year 2000. And in year 2000, the program was light years ahead of where they were in, in 1980. And you look at just the kind of the growth that this athletic department, not just football, just overall athletic department has seen in the last 40 years and then chop that 40 years down to the last 20. And I think this is now a realistic at least debate. I, I mean, I think Oregon sure. should, I think Oregon should go and if you're athletic director Rob Mullins and President Schill, um, I, I think you at least through back channels say like, Hey, like if the conference is going to continue to, to spiral down and the, the, the revenue differential between us and the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC and the SEC and the, and the Big 12, the, the other power schools and conferences, if, if you're going to continue to see that gap widen from a revenue distribution, you know, number and, you know, the, the amount of access that those conferences have to postseason tournaments than the Pac-12 does, uh, TV ratings and TV deals and all of that, then I think you at least through back channels have to come out and say, to the Pac-12 through back channels, at least of yeah. we're going to explore all options, and all options means maybe we go independent, maybe we explore creating a new conference with some teams out west, maybe we try and join the Big 12. Um, I I I think you have to do that because look at let's just look at football this this season alone, and yes, Oregon it's a little unique because Oregon had you know a really really good season they were in the hunt for the college football playoff for basically the entire year but you look at the tv ratings for the 10 best games this season and i i believe six of the 10 included oregon and you go back to the year before that and a good chunk of them included oregon even when oregon was bad in 2016 they were one of the more watched programs in football and then obviously the mariota years the chip kelly years those are the teams that not only everyone out West, but the entire country watched when they watched Pac-12 football. Um, go back to, to, foot, to men's basketball. I mean, they're the only team to make a Final Four since UCLA did it in the early 2000s. Uh, they've got multiple Elite Eights in the last 20 years. They've got multiple Sweet 16s in the last 20 years. Um, they've got multiple conference championships in the last 20 years. And, and you cut that down to 10 and it, it – it grows even more. Women's basketball just won their third straight national uh, Pac-12 championship. Um, track and field has a plethora of championships that you can't count with your two hands. Um, and, and so I, the athletic department has changed. The brand is as big and as strong as it's ever been at Oregon. And so I think you absolutely have to look at, at looking at this. I don't disagree with anything you said, Matt. I, I do think you're right in terms of Oregon is on the ascension as a brand, and it's not just football. It's men's basketball. It's women's basketball. It's track and field. It's softball. 
um, especially recently. Uh, you know, obviously this last year was a little bit down, but they, they, they had previously been maybe one of the biggest brands in their sport. Um, Oregon from an athletic, I mean, you talk about the overall health of Oregon's athletic department right now. It is like, they, they're, they're not missing a beat. There really aren't nope. that many sports where you're looking at them going like they couldn't win their conference that year. And um, so you're right. Like from, from an end, yeah, I think Oregon could absolutely, they have the brand, they have the, the big athletes to lean upon. They have the donors and, you know, and someone like Phil Knight and all those connections to make this work. I, I just think it stinks that we have to have these conversations. It stinks that the Pac-12 has gotten to the point where, Schools like Oregon and USC, and, and I'll throw Washington, and even though they haven't been directly discussed, but they're the other kind of big top tier program in the conference. But that the big boys in the conference might have to take a look around, like that sucks. Like, you know, I mean, just as somebody who grew up watching the Pac 10 and then obviously the Pac 12 now, uh, it's been really fun just to watch the conference and the conference rivalries. It would stink if this was removed, not because of something that, you know, I mean, I guess if it would stink if this was removed because the conference just wasn't able to continue to compete. And, and that's kind of the direction it's headed. And I know, uh, I think there's still really fun Pac-12 conference championship races. Obviously, Oregon's been in the middle of the football, the men's and women's basketball, winning two of them a chance to win a third this week. But um, it would just be really, I think, disappointing if it got to the point where, where it felt like you had to make a move. And I don't think we're quite to that point yet. I think there's room to save this conference. I think there's room for this conference to, to kind of get back. I don't think ever on even footing as the SEC and maybe the Big Ten and ACC, but to at least get back to a point where they're respectable and, and contending for championships, championships every season in, in a variety of sports. But um, it's going to take some progress. And I think you're right that it is headed to the point where Oregon and USC and Washington and maybe some of these other schools really need to discuss the possibility of going independent, the possibility of, of maybe calling up another, maybe the Big 12 and seeing about joining there. Um, again, I think all of that is disappointing, but you're right. I think that with the way things are going, I don't think you could fault Oregon for thinking, hey, we're one of the big boys right now. And, and right now we've kind of tied our tied ourselves to a conference that is not headed in the right direction and that they're kind of maybe potentially pulling us down going forward. And if that's the case and you feel strongly enough about it, follow the path that Notre Dame has followed, and and, and, and especially in football, go independent. I think you could definitely be successful there. But, it just, again, my, my thing is it just stinks that we're at this point. I think you look at this, though, with the understanding of this is all kind of uh, USC should be doing this, Oregon should be doing this, and like you said, probably Washington, and to an extent maybe UCLA. Uh, yeah. But these are – the flagship brands of the Pac-12 conference. And I think they are more so doing this as a threats, like right. to the Pac-12 CEOs and more importantly to the Pac-12 commissioner of things are not going well. And just simply stating we need to wait until 2022, 2024, whenever the TV deal is up and, and, and simply just saying everything will be fine once this is, is over. It better be because if it's not, the, the league could crumble and you know, the league needs to be proactive, even though they've got these contracts that are in place and they can't get out of. Um, you look at it, though, and, and say that the, the, the power conference, the, the power schools, the flagship brands need to be coming out and throwing some kind of threats around it. And maybe threat isn't the right word, but throwing their weight, throwing their weight. Yeah, around. throwing their weight and, and telling the conference and making the people that are in charge of the conference a little worried of, oh, wow, if we don't get our act together, like. We could lose our biggest brands, and then where are we at? You know, then we're you know, then we're really screwed. Um, I, I I certainly think this is salvageable, and I certainly think that 
the conference can and will get there if, if, if the leadership is in place and the leadership is mindful of the things that they need to accomplish. But, um, I'm a hundred percent behind this idea of Oregon, at least through back channels, exploring the idea. Yeah. And something does have to change. I don't think there's any question about it from, from somewhere at the top, the Pac-12 needs to make some changes that they need to try to get. And again, I said, I don't think they're ever going to be back on even footing with the SEC and the ACC and the big 10. Maybe I'm, too negative there. Maybe they will get to a point where it feels like those schools are kind of on even ground, but they need to, they need to at least salvage some things. They need to make some changes or, or else this is headed in the wrong direction. You're right. I don't think you have two to four years to wait and, and try to see how this all plays out. You got to start making some proactive, progressive moves here in the interim. I, I don't necessarily know exactly what those mean, um, but I, there's something has to change absolutely going forward or, or else the, the future of the conference is in jeopardy. And certainly the future of the conference with, with some of these schools like Oregon and USC um, is in jeopardy. All right. I hope y'all enjoyed today's episode. It was the brainchild of our producer, Tani Levitt, who went out and mined those conversations from our podcast network. After Trey and I told him that we were feeling pretty drained from dealing with the aftermath of a tornado visiting ours and many other neighborhoods throughout middle Tennessee this week. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For my co-host, Trey Scott, our producer, Tani Levitt, for Sean and Alyssa McNally, and Lori and Kevin Dixon, who have opened up their doors to me and my wife while we're displaced from our home, for Chad and Sarah Bishop, who let my two-year-old son eat them out of house and home while my wife and I were at work on Wednesday, for all of the people in the streets of Nashville doing what they can to pitch in, and for everyone who's helped raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for Hands on Nashville. I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.